0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, hammering it home. This spring, there's a lot of awesome stuff coming up. Headed into the summer as well. Last Chance Broadhead Shoot with West Coast Archery. May 15th through the 17th. And also coming up June 13th in Reno. Is the Deadeye Golf Tournament. For more information and more details. Check them both out on Instagram. I'm sure you'll have no problem finding their accounts. Also get ready Yeti Total Archery Challenge. It's gonna be a blast. Hope to see everyone there. Thanks. The reason for that is like, how much stuff or how much time do people spend editing or like trying to rearrange something that's completely organic and doesn't need it?
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Chaos. Chaos. You know chaos. I mean, you probably know chaos better than I do. Oh, I think a lot of times,
1: you know, the the more you handle things, right? Like the more you kind of get in the more disturbance you're causing. So are you cleaning it up or you're just causing more of a mess? Right. Right? Yeah. Like we go through the same repetitive motions Yeah. on a daily basis that maybe we don't need to do.
0: Seriously. <laughs> well, and I mean, does that, do you ever... Are you, I'm trying to think of how to say this, younger, in your younger years, I would say that, you know, like, just total chaos is, that was your,
1: your thriving, I don't know about that, I don't know about total chaos, Uh controlled chaos. Controlled chaos, okay, I I like that, I really like that, that's well put. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I mean, you definitely got to push it, right, or at least that's kind of, Way I grew up with it, uh-huh. like get the work, get it done. Is
0: it still controlled chaos, or do you go more down these days on uh, the path of less resistance? No, I I swim upstream.
1: Uh-huh. That's in my blood. Constant, <laughs> yeah. con- just always fighting the current. I went upstream, and I can't help it. <laughs> That's my chosen path. Uh huh. And I try to choose. If I, if I was to choose the easy route, it would, wouldn't work. Yeah. Whatever path that path would close, the door would close, the house would fall down, yeah, and I'd have to fix it.
0: And then, how do you fix it? Get to work, right? <laughs>
1: Does the work yeah. ever end? Probably not. Uh, I mean, with what I do, I think a lot of a lot of stuff. I uh, I make my own path you know, with what I do in, in, in skate, in hunting and making knives, whatever, you know, whatever I do in life, whether it's with my family, you know, still, um, I forgot what I was going to say. What was I going to say? I totally forgot. The path. Can you edit that part out? I know, right? (laughs) Blazing (laughs) your own path. Yeah. I mean, I get to, I, most of what I do really is, is like project by project, yeah. so I get to pick. Yeah. So it's me that goes, hey, I want to do this. How about we do this as well? What about if we're going to do this also? So I think some of, a lot of that chaos with me or with my life is self-inflicted, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, and because I like to live, I like to get out, I like to do stuff, I don't like to procrastinate, I don't like to look at something or have an idea for something and not pursue it if I want to, you know? I don't like to be held back by that you yeah. know, so I think sometimes I do take on too much stuff. There's like total truth to that, but not always. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as well, I think with you know with with you know what, what with what I do in skate, I, I don't know if like one project's going to take a week or it's going to take three months. Sometimes mm-hmm. some of those small projects turn into bigger bigger things, which that can add like a massive layer of chaos to life, which juggle in. All of those kind of uh, facets yeah. is what I spend a lot of my time doing. You know,
0: amidst the controlled
1: chaos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's a. Uh, I don't think it's like a control freak. Yeah. You know, because I've been around people that like have to have their hands on it and yeah. have to be done a certain way. I don't usually feel like that. You know, with with, with stuff I do, whether it's doing product or you know, just in day-to-day life. I always feel like there's two ways to do things. There's more than one way to do it. We don't all have the same path, so we're not gonna have all the same results, right? Or necessarily all the same way of doing things, you know? And I like to remind myself that, you know, um, on a daily basis mm-hmm. to keep ground grounded, keeps you kind of... What well, helps keep an open mind? Bit bigger understanding, I think, too. I think, you know, we get too caught up in how we feel about things instead of what it is, you know? Mm-hmm and uh, making decisions based off of emotion rather than fact yeah 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 Yeah. and even just emotions that would not even any basis in in experience but people feel a certain way because they've convinced themselves that they should feel like that way yeah you know you shoot an animal in the head it's blood's coming down yeah and you feel a certain way right like with that now like we feel comfortable with that right if yeah. it was a good clean kill mm-hmm. another person might see that as being the worst thing they've ever seen in their life yeah. blood squirting out of someone's head yeah right it's perception right we're there too and, and, and well, it's also taught perception as well yeah right yeah. that's right like we're all brought up in like a, a you know culture and and, and and i think now more than ever these cities are like bubbles I li- I'm in them all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing with, with what I do. Like, pro- professional skateboarder, I travel globally, but usually to most of the Western you know, places. Mm-hmm. Um, but I travel globally and, and I see it. You know, I go to all these cities and I see them changing. I see the attitudes ah, changing. I see them getting colder, you know, it's dirtier, more yeah. homeless people in them.
0: Yeah, more Everywhere defecation. I go,
1: yeah, not every city is like that, yeah. but a lot of the established cities that we know on the and, West Coast. And it sure. used to be influenced by, like it wasn't that long ago. How much were we influenced by Hollywood? Like it wasn't yeah. that long ago. You know. Charlie Chaplin lived in Long Beach in the nineteen twenties. That was the original Hollywood. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. You know? And uh, you know, I don't know. That that I, I don't I don't like that side of it. Our cities are getting pretty cold, you know.
0: Now, when you say cities are getting cold, do you mean the mentality and and how
1: everybody acts? The culture of them, how people act towards each other, how they walk down the street, Mm -hmm. you know, how they hold themselves in public places, how they hold themselves in busy crowded areas, how they walk through busy crowded areas, like stuff like that. Like I pay attention to it because I'm I'm in those places all the time. So that juxtapose for me Mm -hmm. is part of my life. I see it daily. You know, and it, and it and it hits you. You get a clash with it at times. Like, you know, when I come back from our, you know spending any of our desert sheep hunts that we do in California, where you know I might have been out without kind of coming back for a couple of weeks, you know, and I come back into the busiest area in the Western world for like tra- traffic. Yeah. You know, I'm coming in. I get anxiety. I start shaking. You know, my eyes can't handle the bright lights. My ears are, feel completely choked by the sound. You know, overwhelmed, um, sensory, over, over, sensory yeah. overload with them, you know, and I, and um, you know, that's not getting any better for me, you know, but, uh, but what I was trying to say with the chaos of like cities is that like we're all brought up, you know, being influenced by the culture around us, the city that we're in, the family that we're in. And I just fear for what that's that culture is doing in the city right now. What the future might look like. Yeah, yeah you know, and, uh, and, 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 and it's more apparent to me because I, I do go places where there's millions of people and then the next day I go somewhere where it's pretty remote, mm-hmm. which, you know, not everyone's job or lifestyle does Permits that. that, yeah. That I, I, I kind of struggle with a little bit because I like the cities, you know. I, I think, you know, I like being around people. I'm not a guy that needs to be completely away from everybody like I'm a hermit. I'm a social person I enjoy being around people but I need my quiet time I need to be away as well yeah. to be balanced decompression yeah 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 and that's getting harder and harder to do in Southern California
0: I can relate to that a lot you know and, and like what you were talking about coming back to the coming back from um, I don't want to say solitude because there's usually other people around when we're outdoors right yeah. but coming back from the outdoors and nature into the city, and having that sensory overload, and like, I know for me, because I used to go out by myself for 10, 15, 20 days at a time, and when I would come back into civilization to like buy groceries or food, the lighting in the grocery stores was too much. The people talking around me like, would give me anxiety because it's just too much, right? And that peaceful serenity that we can find sitting on a hillside.
1: Yeah. Well, you get you get that clash like crazy, like I do. You live up in Northern California most of the time, right? Yeah. So you see all of that like overload from San Francisco and yeah. everything. It probably you probably struggle with it. Oh, absolutely. It, it, I mean, I think a, a lot of people do. You know, with that. But that's just the way the world's going. Should I answer this on speakerphone? That's the uh, jake franklin the boss <laughs> should I answer this on speaker you could always just ha- answer and hang up i don't know <laughs> you can answer it yeah
0: hey jake you're live on a hot mic on speakerphone all right i'll talk to you in a bit <laughs> <laughs> Shit. he's all shit uh, but yeah it's it's so, like, you know, you threw out San Francisco. And what is terrifying to me these days is, like, I have a couple buddies that I'll work for the city of San Francisco. And the pictures they send me of mountains of shit and, you know, piles and piles and piles of dirty needles. Like, used dirty needles. And it's it's all stuff. Like, San Francisco just hands them out. You know, come get your clean, you know? And, like,
1: that's... yeah
0: rough dude it's it's rough is the best way for me to put it you know what I mean it's
1: filthy it really is
0: mass population centers are very difficult and that's a lot
1: for me why I find so much more escape in the outdoors yeah I think it's an infrastructure problem Mm -hmm. now I think some of the cities have got so large and so busted up the infrastructure is so damaged and used now that you're looking at a wasteland you yeah. know, and like, I see more homeless people than I've ever seen. You know, yeah. but then I also see opportunity, and more opportunity than we've had in quite a few years. And I wonder what's going on. You know, uh, <laughs> I totally get it. Just too many people. Yeah. Right. We need to feed them. Send them out into the California coastal hills, and send them all out with a pistol, and, <laughs> and tell them all to shoot one pig each. Yeah. And see what happens. See how it goes. Right. <laughs>
0: It's pretty crazy to think about our homeless population growing, because I know for a lot of years, and I can't remember specifically what cities. They used to be way better and way more informed on it um, than I am now. But cities used to just load their homeless up on buses and send them to Los Angeles and San Francisco. And that was their way of dealing with their homeless population and keeping their homeless population out of their city right and then us out here good weather coastal whatever
1: yeah. we end up well, all the west coast gets it right yeah. yeah you keep going west you eventually end up at the beach and then you sleep on it yeah. i suppose but i don't know maybe we ought to feed them some wild game meat or something
0: right I don't know. could you imagine if if we just started stocking all of like the homeless shelters with wild pig <clears throat> It's a viable food source. It's a viable why don't resource we? of an invasive species. That's right. So why don't we? Why do we spend millions of government dollars on feeding them whatever it is that we're probably buying for them at government cost, which is way above any other cost?
1: I don't have those answers. Andy. I don't either. I don't have those answers. I I'm don't just either. You floating around,
0: Jeff, hey. man, how are you? It's been, it's been. We were just discussing this, dude. It's been almost two years. It's been two years and seven days since the last time you were on the podcast. A million things have changed uh, in your personal life, in your professional life, in your hunting life, across the board. Life is probably it's it's probably the same but insanely different at the same time right a lot has happened in two years a lot happens a lot. in six months it I mean, does
1: it does it, you know time's that by four and here we are but, i mean what that was a couple of years ago so i would say since then i don't know how many how many hunts have been on but it's a lot
0: yeah <laughs> like a buttload when when <laughs> what year did civilware come out 2013 i think six years ago or something like that uh-huh so that was like right around the four or five year mark for you with silverware yeah right yeah and i feel like at
1: that time the knife selection was slimmer than where it is now yeah we make more knives now than we did back then and you gotta remember too like metal manufacturing is not to be taken lightly yeah and and I don't take it lightly. It takes time to get the product where you want. The lead times on manufacturing, for good knives, you're looking at a year to two, really, really, with the lead times, from concept all the way through to manufacture to full production. So it takes a while. So It's taken me a li- little while to get it up and running, but I feel like we're getting the product offering that we need to have, mm-hmm. and we couldn't do it the first day. We mm-hmm. just didn't have the bandwidth nor the experience to do it all in the first year. Yeah. That makes sense. So Absolutely. I'm trying to learn how to make these knives better, bigger, and better as I move along. And every single one of my knives has a different locking mechanism, <laughs> and most of them are <laughs> different metals. And, yeah. and so there's a learning curve to it, and I and I just I refuse to rush that. I've had some hiccups too. It's mm-hmm. a small business. Everyone has hiccups growing the small business yeah. that's struggling to kind of get certain things off the ground but well not only that i mean you're also one of the most busy human
0: beings on the planet with a full blown skate career a full hunting career you're in the midst of a startup or you know having yeah. started up another business in the skate industry yeah and having a full-blown knife too company. much i mean a lot of people would say yes, but I like it. Like I'm a fan of that. More.
1: What else can I do? the The easiest, the easy way of explaining that is I was partnered in the skateboard business my whole life. Mm-hmm. So we made skateboards, trucks, wheels, everything that goes with that. All of the product that goes. That everyone's seen from a from a skateboard brand, right? Or yeah. a skate, surf, snow brand. We made shirts, bags, hats, bolts, bearings, all of that. Yeah. Right, I did that for like over twenty years, right. And when I started the Civil War brand, that's a full challenge. Mm-hmm. I've never, I'd never made a knife before that. I'd never designed a knife. I'd never looked at where knives are manufactured. I just enjoyed them, yeah. And I knew what I liked about them, and I knew what parts I liked about them. So when I started a knife company, I knew what I didn't like about your average knife, yeah. Um, so that's been a design challenge for me, and. Uh, I was part of the scapel business almost my whole life, and then had a difference of opinion. You know, got out of that business about four or five years ago, and I'm just launching another scapel business right now in an industry that i that I I've had a lot of experience in. It's not the same as like starting a, a startup company. I did it for over twenty years. I'm comfortable with the process. Of it's a house. Nice. It. I enjoy it. It's yeah. easy be honest it's like the actual process of it is is easy because I've done it that many times now it's a creative yeah. thing like what can I do differently how can I improve the product so if that helps kind of get get a better understanding of like what I'm loading myself up with yeah. you know I have to be involved in skateboarding I love it and I'm still progressing in it and I'm not ready to back off from it <laughs> but in the same I'm not I know I'm not but in the same breath I'm, I'm flesh and blood I'm 43 years old and i'm not going to ride my body to the point where i can't use it for anything else yeah that's why i started civil war that's why i started hunting more and more and more that's why i started helping jade guide and do whatever we do there because if i didn't make that conscious decision i was going to go down this wormhole mm-hmm. you know and so i actually feel like i have a very well balanced um like workload mm-hmm. i'm over overloaded a little bit but as far as the creative balance of it i don't feel like i'm going to burn out yeah you know does yeah. that makes sense. So I feel like if if civil war really takes off and goes to the moon, and I have to spend all my working days doing it, that's great.
0: Yeah,
1: I can back off with this if I want to, right? But I don't necessarily need to because I understand the workload, you know, on the different businesses that I do, and and I'm, and I know I can manage it. Mm-hmm. You know, the hard part with uh, with startup brands now is the marketing. The eyeballs. We lost our free eyeballs on social media. Now we have to buy it yeah or create it yeah inspire people enough for them to find you right and uh, that's my biggest challenge right now. and
0: be findable
1: when someone is inspired to look yeah or with my knife brand like what I want to do I bring a knife out and I want to make all these videos showing people what the knives are but there's just not enough hours in the day yeah to do that right but um so I, I get to pick and choose a little bit of like, you know, I can back off because I own the businesses, right? I can back off a little bit, mm-hmm. slow it down at times. And well, that can hurt some of the businesses sometimes, but other times it's actually beneficial too because creatively it doesn't burn me out.
0: Right. You brought up a really interesting point, which is social media and social media hammering back on businesses or people trying to grow businesses. Mm-hmm. And how, I mean, in my opinion, and. People have all different kinds of opinions about it, but social media will shadow ban. They'll limit your account. They'll do anything that it can, especially if you're in a space that
1: the company doesn't agree with. Well, they're they're the dictator. Mm -hmm. It's their product. They make it, and they choose, you know, who they want you to have access to and how, so they can best monetize that. Or if you have access at all. Yeah, or like what we had in our hunting and firearm space where, you know, the algorithm the back end of our you know facebook and instagram algorithms just not set up for us to, to benefit from it the opposite yeah you know we just disappeared a year and a half ago and that affected my business i watched my sales go down when our, the algorithm changed mm-hmm. yeah negatively towards hunting because on civil war i don't know if, like people look at what we do but i, I post guns all the time with my knives I support them. I think the, the firearm is a beautiful tool.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a beautiful weapon. And in the right hands, it's, 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 it's an exceptional piece of work, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a big fan of, like, uh, old firearm designs and, uh, and just detail. I think it's, they're just beautiful pieces of work. Yeah. And, and uh, I like to relate my knives to that because that's what I'm inspired by. Mm-hmm. But that don't help me. How many other knife brands post guns all day? Yeah. None of them. Yeah. Almost none of them. Right, because they sell knives. They don't. They know that attaching a firearm to their product is going to negatively impact their sales. Yeah. I don't care. Fuck them. Yeah. Right. I like guns. I like hunting. I love the outdoors, and I'm not going to apologize for that. Yeah. You know, I'm there's to nothing to it.
0: apologize for. To me, you know, it's complete traditional American values.
1: Yeah, that's right, and it's legal. Is the thing too? It's legal, meaning it's already covered by the law. Mm-hmm. So for me to shoot a picture of it respectfully. I'm not, sh- I'm not I'm not shooting our <laughs> It is covered by our constitution and I, but I'm not I'm not posting I'm trying to be aware that when I do post firearms pictures that are related to knives and things like that, that they're safe. Mm-hmm. They're respectful. They're not photographed in a way that someone could go hey that's a little you know yeah. that's not safe. I try to be aware of that, you know. That that's important. Do super. you see on the back end, if you
0: post a photo with a gun in the background or a gun in the photo, yeah. do you see less interaction or impressions from that photo or less exposure
1: from that photo than if you just post a knife on a rock? Yeah. Is there right now, it, it would be hard to notice the difference, mm-hmm. but two, three years ago, if I would have posted a beautiful old vintage shotgun or something with a beautiful handmade knife, mm-hmm. that will go to town, go to the moon. Right now, if I do that, it's just the the beautiful firearm that's in that photo, damages, the um, access or availability for people to see that image Mm -hmm. for sure. I see it, you know, and that's sad. I don't want to change how I sell and how I promote and market my stuff to the customers because a Facebook and Instagram or social media business doesn't agree with what it is that I sell Mm -hmm. then. Don't allow me on there, or maybe I shouldn't be on there. Yeah. You know? Um, but, you know, those things are tough. You know, that, I mean, that runs in line with like culture and society and people's opinions and feelings. It's like that's someone else's opinion being forced on online. It is. You know, I sell a knife, and it's a knife for most of the time for. Freaking, you know, outdoor-related knives—they serve a particular purpose. They're not aggressive knives. They're not—they're built for the outdoors, right? I'm not selling a, a bad product. I'm, you know, I'm selling a tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to be put at the back of the line because somebody th- thinks that that tool is not as important as a kitchen knife, you know, or something like that. Uh, I think that encroaches upon all our civil liberties and it encroaches upon a lot of what we you know I don't know just as members of society shouldn't be exposed to that you know those kind of barriers yeah. you know whether it's with our small business or personal you know but I don't know it's almost like the elimination of an open mind yeah but I mean I, the way I have always felt about social media is 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 fuck it excuse my french yeah right that's not what I sell, you know, that's not what I do. We make knives, we, we, we have an outdoor lifestyle. We spend a lot of times in the outdoor and we try to just show what we do. There's nothing that's really kind of set up, you know. Yep. All of those f- photographic scenarios that are, you know, any of, any of the Civil War stuff that we do is usually while we're out in the field hunting and doing yeah. something. It's not usually me scheduling the day out to go and do this, to shoot this knife. It's usually, I'm on a hunt, I need to shoot a picture, I need to get the job done. That's my priority. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so that doesn't help the business necessarily. You know, that's one problem with doing, you know, a couple of businesses where you only have, you have a nine-to-five job if you're focused on one job. You, you, you're, you're working a full-out workday. If I have two or three brands that I'm working on, I only, I only get half of that day for that one brand. So at times, that is detrimental. And I'm trying to figure that out, too. I'm being tr- completely transparent. Like, yeah. I have no secrets with what I do like that. Like, I want people to know where I'm at with, with what I do. You yeah. know? I think that's important. Especially in this day and age. Yeah. yeah. Tell it how it is.
0: Well, not only tell it how it is, but what happened to authenticity, man? What happened, you know what I mean, to being genuine? I don't know. I feel like a lot of that stuff, you know, has
1: kind of just gotten washed away, which is, it's saddening. Well, we, you know, I'll tell you what we've done on social media, though, as hunters. We've given anti-hunters, and I was a vegetarian, I uh, I had a dairy-free diet for many, many years. I understand that mentality. The vegetarian mentality, the non-dairy, the gluten-free. Yeah, but everyone, I mean, look at the world we live in right now. Everyone has a dietary restriction, almost everybody now, and mm -hmm. it's just a lot of it, too. It's not just someone's opinion. A lot of it is, we've figured out now that certain food sources or certain things, people react negatively to some of them.
0: Dieting is the number one addiction
1: in America. Yeah, well, there you go, right? Like, that's just the way that it is, but... Look at, look at what we've given people, like anti-hunters, with that social media platform. Look at how many pictures there is on, on social media of every single day of one of us, you know, and I'll say us because I don't, wanna, I don't want me to talk about this person as if they're different from me. Yeah. They're not, right? Put, they kill an animal and they post a picture of it, right? And it, there might be blood on that photo, there might be not, but how many pictures of there us, on social media like that I think we had that discussion at Camp didn't we? Yeah. A while back about that. It's like you can't get them off the internet. You can't. And every one of those pictures is like a greeting card for that person. They're so happy in the picture that it should be a positive thing. Because nine times out of ten they truly genuinely are. Yeah. Like crying and happy as pie that they've sealed the deal. Mm-hmm. And yet there's such a negative attachment to all of those trophy shots by non-hunters mm-hmm. that that's a disconnect that is well, difficult. Drop social media out of the ball. Drop right. Yeah. Take it back to your own website, right, and be a little bit more respectful with how we put our stuff out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have to do that.
0: Yeah.
1: People from the general public, and it starts with the brands. Yeah. You know, this is me me talking as a as a as a uh, low grade businessman. <laughs> <laughs> like, it starts at the top. Right. Right with businesses and like how a business acts. You know, and it's in every industry As in the action sports probably more aggressive than any of the other industries aside from maybe the music industry mm-hmm. you know because we market so much and we market so aggressively in action sports to youth culture like crazy bam 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 if that business is at the top of that industry is, is saying things need to change they need to look like this they need to go a different direction because it's going to benefit everybody we need to do that in the hunting space and the outdoor space a little more than we do. Have a little more accountability for the broader picture of what it is that we're creating. Mm-hmm. You well, know? And something I bring up, and I brought this up in other
0: podcasts, before social media, the only place that non-hunters would see photos would be in a hunting magazine, Outdoor Life, or if they went into an outdoor store on the wall, yep. you know, or, or a local lumber store or hardware store. Where life, there'd be stream. a trophy a trophy pin board and you know, because the owner of the store maybe was a hunter and him and his buddies and other people from town would pin up their trophy photo, right? Yeah. And where the difference to me is you're good. You can be as loud as you want. Uh, where the difference to me is is like before you'd open up a magazine and you'd see the photo, and you'd hear the story, or you'd read the story, and you'd relive the adventure in the magazine. And on social media, how many people are thinking about the paragraph that they're writing when they're putting it on yeah. their, you know, whatever their post is? And it's not,
1: so it's yeah. not really regulated as far. And I'm not saying that it needs to be regulated. But the hot part with that is, you see the image before you read the text. If you see the image and you have an emotional reaction, reading the text is secondary. Your chances are you're not going to pay attention at that point because you already made a decision. Mm-hmm. That's my issue. How do we clean that up a little bit? Not that that's my job or our job to fix that. We're just talking openly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want hunting opportunity to grow. You know, I, I'd like our firearms restrictions to be reasonable. Mm-hmm. And I'd like them to be also less volatile. Right. I'd like to be treated a little bit less like a criminal when I'm trying to be a law-abiding citizen. Buy
0: ammunition and, and, over the counter?
1: Yeah, I don't want to go into a store in California and spend forty-five minutes buying ammunition, mm-hmm. which I did twice. You know? Uh, you know, first time forty-five minutes, second time thirty minutes. Yeah. You know, I had to take my birth certificate, passport. Meanwhile, well, I'm an American citizen. I'm a U.S. Uh, I have an American passport, British passport. Yeah. Everything's legal, I've got everything above board, and I still have to go, if I want to buy ca- ammunition in California right now, I have to go in and I have to take in my birth certificate, a state-issued ID that's been verified as of June this year, or my passport, but yeah. my birth certificate every single time, that's my birth certificate's quite valuable to yeah. my life. It's important that I have it. Yeah. And if every time I have to go to the store, I have to pull my birth certificate out to go to the store, to me that feels like a kick in the balls. Is it legal? It doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to do that to vote. No, you don't have to do that to vote. There's a lot of things that you don't have to take your birth certificate in for, but buying ammunition
0: yeah.
1: right now in California. And that feels wrong to me. That yeah. doesn't feel right. I'm not being treated... I'm not being treated fairly as a tax-paying individual in the state of California when I'm treated like that. Yeah, You know, same with our bobcat hunting that we just lost. Yeah. Disgusting yeah. how that that was put through. I'm not a political guy. I'll talk openly with you, Andy, because we're just talking as friends. Yes, this is gonna go online. So yeah. what, it's a conversation between Andy and I, Yeah. right? That's it. Um, well, what doesn't
0: make sense to me about the bobcat thing is where did that even come from? Like all of a sudden it was boom,
1: here it is. Okay, it's passed. It's it's done. It came. It was passed through support from San Diego. I'm laughing. This is a, a joke. Yeah. It was passed through support from San Diego County, Los Angeles County, Sacramento County, and San Diego County. Right? Yeah. That's what the bill said. It was like three bills. Right. It was called the Humane Bill or something yeah. like that. I don't have it in front of me, so I don't remember. The, all the Humane. Numbers. I think that's right. Yeah. It was. It, it's tagged under that the Humane Bill, and there was three of them. Right. Am I, am I right in saying that? There was three bills. One of them was to do with illegally uh, training uh, elephants in California for the circus trade. Another one was something to do with uh, fur trade, uh, transporting around California, and the third one was an outright ban on bobcat hunting,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Or at least a ban And I f- heard about the fur trade prior to it, and I had never even heard anybody mention that that's ever been an issue. That I more. think it's already illegal to a certain extent. A lot of that tra- trafficking and trading of animal parts in California is already covered anyway. Yeah. Like legal, right? Like yeah. you can't buy, sell, trade in animal parts in California. Am I right, Andy? You I know? think so. Yeah. Like so, if I was to go and like you can on some, but there's there's a lot of stuff that you can't. Yeah, but if I was to go uh, kill a mule deer legally, put it on a knife handle. Anything and sell harvested it. that's wildlife? Absolutely not. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of that's already kind of covered. And then they put a bobcat bill banning bobcat hunting after the season had already opened. So here's what it is. I live in California. I'm a taxpayer in the state of California. I already bought my bobcat tags earlier in the year, in like June, right, May, June. I, I, I bought them online. So I already have the tags for a few bobcat tags and it comes... I think the season, is it November 16th or something like that? It's, it's Middle of November lighter, yeah. to February 28th or March 1st, 5th was like the bobcat season, right? Yeah. And season had already opened. We're, we're at sheep camp,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: You get an email. Bobcat hunting is banned. This is the last year it's ever going to happen. Oh, okay. So I read the bills. It's not just banned bobcat hunting. They put it in with these two other training elephants for the circus trade and then transporting animal parts around California. I mean, how does that relate to managing a, a wild animal? A population. Uh, that's on public land? I don't get that. And uh, and they passed the bill through. And the email that I saw said it was through support from all the cities, not through people that actually live the majority of the time in bobcat country. Mm-hmm. That opinion matters as well, like more so, than the people who live in the city, because the people that aren't in the cities are dealing more with those wild animals than the people who live in the cities a lot of the time. Not always. Right? Yeah. Um, so, that was disjointed that the governor didn't even recognize that most of this state's rural. Right? That's rude. That's disrespectful to those tax-paying individuals that live in those rural areas. Right? Yeah. As a statement. What he's saying is, I don't care what you think. I care what the cities think about this. Mm-hmm. Right? So, he banned it. And we're like, okay, that's it. Never going to get to hunt bobcat again. This will be the last season I'll ever get to hunt bobcat again legally, knowingly. And then, two weeks later get another email that says, oh yes, your bobcat hunting has ended, and by the way, it doesn't end at the end of the general season, which is at the end of February 28th or March 5th, it's December 31st, 2020, so you're done in like a month, so the season had already opened, I'd already bought tags, so I'd spent money that went into the state budget, and then the guy, and then our governor bans it, doesn't replace the funding. Bans it when the season's already open and then has cuts the season in half after it's already open. Mm-hmm. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's ass backwards. Yeah. How did you feel, Andy, getting those emails? I wasn't into it.
0: No. I was
1: disgusted by it, how, yeah. how it was done. Well, uh, if, he'd, if he'd have banned Bobcat Hunting and then said, we're banning Bobcat Hunting because no one in the cities is into it, which is pretty much what he said, yeah. and we're replacing the funding for it which he never did do you know that Mm-mm. he didn't even replace the funding for it, from my understanding he just basically wiped it out mm-hmm. so the budget's already set for 2020 and they just wiped it out
0: that's crazy
1: like so no accountability yeah. who else can do that I can't do that in my job I get fired right. he's our governor he should be held accountable for that Yeah. you know I <laughs> mean it, for me I, I've
0: after the pig bill happened this was years back Um, and having been around a lot a lot of gun legislation and stuff in the past which I worked around for years I got to a point for for myself now where I just they're going to continue to erode Our hunting privileges. No matter what, I don't think in California, unless there's a pendulum swift, that it's that there's a possibility for us to do much
1: other than take it up the tailpipe, right? Which sucks. Which I agree with you, Andy. Yeah. But one person can change the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. So it can happen. Yeah. We're fighting it up. More than an uphill battle in California, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're fighting a losing battle, right? And I agree with you. And they're going to come after our other big predator is next. Yeah. And it's going they're going to do it the same way that they did this and the same way that they did the mountain lion one in the 1990s. It's, based, it's not based on science. It's not based on what we know. It's based on public opinion. Mm-hmm. We need to stop managing our animals wherever it's at on public opinion. We'll just wait when
0: the prevalence of wolves spikes because i know i know for a fact that we have wolves all the way down to lake tahoe i know that yeah and nobody's going to tell me otherwise because i've seen it we have wolves all the way down to highway 80 in northern california period yeah you know and there there will be no management of it except for these are protected and nobody can ever do anything. So we're going to have out of control wolves, out of control mountain lions. They're going to
1: use that to cut back on our rights of hunting. They'll use the wolves to protect and diminish our other big predator rights in California and access.
0: Well, not only that, but I think that they're going to eventually start using predators as a we don't need you to hunt anymore That's because what I'm we have yeah we have predators taking care of the wild. We're letting nature take care of itself mm-hmm. now, and there's and hunting's not allowed anymore. That's how I see it going down.
1: Well, I'll be in Arizona if you need me. Right on. <laughs> Forget right. That. So we're gonna we're gonna go way back
0: because we went so far down a rabbit hole there. <clears throat> in the last, I mean, since the last time you're on the podcast, you came out with the IBK, which I have used extensively on every single animal that i've taken since that knife landed in the united states because i remember you were like hey the knives came in yeah you sent me one went out i think that weekend you overnighted it to me because i was leaving the next day and that weekend went out and started skinning out deer and and everything like that i absolutely love that knife and what was cool about the
1: building of that blade. I get. Would you even call it building cuz you didn't build. Well, we don't make the, we don't make the razor blades. Yeah. So we make the tang so that the full handle. Okay. Um, but so in the it's in the building of that, right?
0: Yeah. You know, it was you you and Jake Franklin building it together, figuring
1: out what well, works. Well, Jake Jake designed it. Yeah. So Jake told us what he wanted. In a skin and knife because he does it more than any of us, you mm-hmm. know. So he was—he decided kind of like the thickness, the length, the you know the hand hold, the materials, like yeah. the well, aesthetic. it's safe to use. And how? And we just went through how it would be handled yeah. and made sure that when we drew it up, all the design fell in line with what he needed in the field. And then we tested it a bunch. And then um, the manufacturers, no one had made a product like that. Like, uh, Havilon like makes a very cheap, low grade replaceable razor blade knife fixed and folding blades right Mm -hmm. everyone knows is familiar with that product absolutely it's junk right and like if you want to use it that's fine
0: well it's scary to use because you're probably going to slice your hand up if you're not super 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 careful when you're
1: yeah but not everyone else not everybody hunts as aggressively as we do and and like is willing to spend a hundred dollars on a knife to skin an animal out on maybe not yeah you know fair enough. but i do and i know a lot of people that i you know i was around at the same question mark of, like, this isn't a very good product. Why isn't there even anything that counters it? There is nothing okay. on the market that you, no one even makes these things. Yeah. And so that's what might, you know, one of the first things, really, I wanted to go at with Civil was, how do I improve that product? And it started with, what does it look like, mm-hmm. right? Making samples of it, using it and testing it, but also where do I make it? How do we make it? What materials do we use? Because no one tried to make a better quality version of those lower grade Havilons,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? which are very, very cheap razor blades, very, very cheap metals, cheap plastics. You can snap a folding havilon in your hand, you can twist the folding havillon snap it in your hand, yeah. right like. Some of the hunts that I go on, like, I have more value in, 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 in using a knife or using something that I will remember the hunt with. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be disposable. I don't want six months later I have to buy another $50 knife. I want a knife that's going to last me and I can carry it on to my children yeah. and pass it along. You know, so we used uh, titanium, was the first steel I wanted to use on that, and then we coated it. So it's a nitrate-coated titanium, which allows the surface metals to better... Um, connect with each other, so it's a smoother feel from the blade going on and off. That's an improvement over a Havilon, mm-hmm. right? Which is a cheap steel. Which some Havilons, smooth as ice. Next one you get, you can't even get a blade on. Next one, the blade won't stop falling off. Mm-hmm. Next one, your blades are off because of the blades they stamp on all different thicknesses. So, so how do you man- How do you balance that whole process of? Aftermarket razor blades are going to come back and be different thicknesses and put it on a product that's engineered, you know, tighter than a human hair and have that work. That was a learning curve and that took a while. That product would have been, and just, you know, if anyone listens to this doesn't know what the IBK is, the IBK is an interchangeable blade knife. It's basically a skinning knife for hunting and fishing and it's a replaceable blade on the front. Mm -hmm. But it's a fixed blade that we do, Civil War does. And we're also coming out with a folding version right now. But we wanted to refine the fixed blade first before we put all of what we've learned into a more developed and more machined product. Yeah. So that's kind of what we do. So you were the first, you know, one of the first guys to kind of get the full production, take it out in the field, and utilize it, you know, and that's a learning curve too. Yeah. I'm talking from a brand perspective, yeah. you know, you get full full production run on a product. You don't know if, if 90% of those are going to be perfect. You don't know what you're going to get to a certain extent with that when you start doing moving into full production. So um, it took a while to develop because the manufacturer didn't know how to make it. <laughs> they didn't even know, o- this is overseas, right? They didn't even know what it was. They didn't understand the concept. How, the concept of it. So we had to educate them. And this is a place that makes some of the highest grade knives in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, they really do. They make oh, exceptional nice. stuff. Um, yeah, so that, that took... Um, it took a while to develop do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and and i think that we um, i'm happy with the results of it i'm stoked on the product and i'm glad that we're able to bring something to the market that's just a step up from what's out there yeah you know a a bunch of other in the last couple of years quite a few of the other knife brands have came out with their own versions of razor blade knives and i feel like they have failed yeah you know like the gerber one was pretty poor and um you know, and, and unsafe, and, and uh, you know, and the, the Benchmade that they put out last year, what was that little fixed blade they put out? That I was didn't like even see it. That 200, 300 bucks or something, and yeah. it was terrible. Yeah. And it wasn't something that wasn't already on the market. Yeah. And those are the biggest, some of the biggest knife brands in the world, so yeah. that's what I'm competing with. Right. You know? Yeah. And I feel like we already beat them right and we're just getting the ball rolling (laughs) this is true like i feel confident that that product is better than their skinning knives
0: well you know which it kind of that kind of rolls me into i was always a really big hip belt fixed blade knife guy me too right that was always you know like you if i go through my old bins because i have bins of knives that i've you know i was a really big buck knife guy so i have every size of every buck knife, you know, in every shape and form if, if it was a fixed blade. And you came out with a striker fixed blade. That's the one we started the company with. And that knife is so powerful. We were talking about this earlier today. I mean, the amount of animals that I've deboned in the field with that knife, the force that that knife carries, you know, and you were saying the leverage
1: is so unreal to me because I'm so used to using what's well, 3 three sixteenth inch thick steel uh-huh which is not normal most night fixed blades are thinner than that yeah so you're feeling that weight well, and it, if power powers leverage.
0: through anything cutting back straps out absolutely 100 on elk yeah. going through it, an entire elk carcass I've been on my on my blade now that I have I've been through three different elk and I couldn't tell you how many other animals, deer, and, and everything else, and it's unstoppable. The force of, like, I have to be, I have to baby that knife. In order to make it cut. To make clean cuts. To make clean cuts. Otherwise, it's it's so powerful. And that's I'm not bullshitting anybody. Like,
1: that's just the fact of it. There's a time and place for weight and leverage. Like mm-hmm. ultralight's good. Yeah. At certain times. Yeah. Right. But if you are skinning out a buffalo, Mm -hmm. and your hands are tired, Mm -hmm. that's gonna help you a lot, (laughs) right? Speed right through it. It's gonna help you you a lot with that, you know, like with hand fatigue on the bigger animals. And you said you're a fixed blade guy. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of guys are fixed blade, and combination between fixed blade and razor blades, right? Mm -hmm. Or just straight fixed blade, or just straight razor blade, Mm -hmm. right? Every guy like, or even pocket knives. Depends on who it is, right? We all kind of handle different stuff. But that knife, the reason why it's so thick, do you know that that was the first knife that we put out for I the didn't. brand? I yeah. did I Like, and I designed that knife uh-huh. because of a situation that I had where I needed leverage and I needed to be able to not do much for the knife but the knife to do the work for me. And that's what that knife was designed for. It was designed as like a backup kind of utility knife for um, a, h- a hunter. A big a predator hunter, to be honest with you, a big big predator hunter. It'd be good really good on pigs and stuff too. But I would go on a lot of like, you know, lion hunts and I'm not taking a gun always. Mm-hmm. If I'm not the one shooting, I'm not always packing a gun. Don't necessarily always feel like probably, people one. probably cringe in some people, but I don't always feel the need to carry that. Yeah. You know, I feel safe a lot of the time. But I had one scenario where I didn't have a firearm with me and I had a knife in my pocket. At least I thought I had a knife in my pocket and I had nothing in my backpack and I had you know, uh, uh, two lions coming through, through the brush towards me, right above me. So we were gonna pop out right in front of me at any moment. And I remember just putting my hands in my pocket going, I'm fucked, I've got nothing. Like it's gonna be me back up against this freaking thing right now and I'm gonna have to stand up and, and hopefully they don't just pile me down. Yeah. That's seriously what went through my mind of like, what could I do? All I could think was if I have a knife right now, I gotta pull it out and I'm going to get ready, but if, I'm, if an animal comes on top of me, what am I going to get to do? I'm going to get to maybe stick it in once and hold it, mm-hmm. and so that leverage will go a long way. Yep. So the actual blades and shape of that blade shape was intentionally built to help you open, open up wound channels,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it cuts and bleeds concurrently at the same time. So once it's inside something, you hold it, and then whatever it's inside moves, it's going to cut and bleed out. That's what knife, that knife was designed for. So it was designed to cut without much work from the user, mm-hmm. right? So, that's what, so if I was going to back... If I was gonna and back that explains pack, what I feel when I'm boning out an animal. Yeah, but if I was going to backpack across the United States right now, I would take that knife all day long because yeah. it's probably not going to break, right? <laughs> no, I could use it for a hammer if right? <laughs> I needed to, but that's kind of what that answers. Yeah. You know, most of the knives are task-driven. They're designed for one particular purpose. You know, or one particular purpose predominantly, and then it, and then they're able to do other things. That's how I like to think about them. You know, yeah, you know, the IBK is a big game, honey. Yeah. Right, like Skinner, or you want to use it for fishing, you could.
0: Yeah. So. And I know that you make a lot of folder knives. Yeah. You have a puncher coming out.
1: I have a small new folding knife that's about to come out in a couple of weeks, so well, when will this podcast go live?
0: It'll be right in March, in the beginning of March.
1: Okay, it comes out right around about the same time, beginning yeah. of March. It's called the puncher. It's a, a small liner locking uh, folding knife that is a, kind of a modern traditional design to it, kind of very Western lifestyle influence, but a very traditional design mm-hmm. mixed with that. Mm-hmm. that makes sense it's got like an ambidextrous thumb stud which is a really big thumb disc on the top of the spine of the blade so that if you have gloves on or if they're in your shafts or whatever the knife is you can get them out pretty easy yeah. you can open the blade up with one hand um, so it's a small basically working man's kind of like pocket folder yeah. um, that's a her s- her smaller than what we've done before so the blade is just a her under three inches mm-hmm. and uh, and that allows you to carry it in a lot more of a broader place so you know more of the bigger cities and you know more of the high streets like it's more legal yeah. um, but also it allows it to make it slightly smaller than, than one of the, the fo- other folders that we have which are a little heavier weighted and larger and therefore more expensive this is a, a her cheaper it will be $99 you know uh, which is for the components that are on it, the steel. Mm-hmm. And uh, proud of it. Best knife we've done so far, I think, yeah. uh, from a design standpoint and materials and the whole nine yards. So it's absolutely super excited about it. You know, you know, you've got a good knife, you know, if you can't stop handling it, you can't help taking it out your pocket and opening and closing <laughs> it. And that's usually a good indicator that you've got some that's designed well, it fits well in your hand, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm stoked on it. So we're about to launch that right now, and that will uh, that will be our latest latest folding knife coming out. And then a little bit later in the year, um, we held off on our folding IBK mm-hmm. um, because the general big game hunting season is not right now. Yeah. Right. Like, so we're going to launch that. Spend a lot more time building all the content, and then launch that one in the summer mm-hmm. um, in in time for the whole of the twenty twenty big game season. So anyone who wants a folding skinning knife. Um, of this quality, um, you know, I'm really excited about that. And what are you looking, like,
0: are you looking for like July 1st for a release on that or? Um, not really Probably before
1: that. Oh, okay. Probably before that. Um, but because we missed this season, right, um, I didn't want to rush it. We don't need, I don't need to... push out my big game hunting knives in January. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I have this folding knife coming and I'm gonna layer that right after it with, with the IBK uh, uh, folder at a time that it makes sense for the customer. Mm-hmm. When they're looking at their hunts for the season, when they're figuring out where they're gonna go, when they're buying their gear.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that's a time when that knife needs to be up online and, and we're well ahead of it being that. Yeah. You know, it's in it's 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 finished and done now. We could put it we could put it online real soon here, but we're rolling this first knife down first. Yeah. I'm really excited to show people that, because what we learned on our fixed blade, we've now put into an engineered folding knife that's even a grade above that, and I'm super excited about it.
0: I mean, I've gotten to see it in the field, obviously, this year quite a few times, and I remember when you first brought it out, I mean, you have it in your hand right now. Of course, everybody probably (laughs) wants to see it, but nobody gets to and that's like that's a comfy knife man yeah. not only that the clip is amazing slightly
1: different from the fixed blade yeah. a little bit longer a little bit slimmer yeah. just slight like tweaks we made and no i'm super excited with it and it still feels the same if that makes sense well it shares a lot of the same design elements you yeah. know and a lot of the same um, handholds. yeah you know so it will function and feel the same um but for the guy that is a die-hard folding knife guy that likes to skin with uh, you know your, your god, traditional this thing
0: feels so good in the I, I love
1: it <laughs> you know i'm excited to show people i mean i've did. seen it skin out quite a few sheep and it works well jake's been using his for uh, god since the season year. started yeah yeah since january or something like that yeah a lot so a year we've yeah. been testing our folder for a year on I think pretty much every big game <laughs> animal, <laughs> like no joke, pretty much every big game animal. Yeah. Um, so we know it works. Yeah. You know, and so that's exciting. But um, I don't know. To be honest with you, Andy, I'm looking forward to 2020. I'm looking forward to all of our hunts that we're getting going, and looking forward to hunting personally. Well, the pig hunts are bunch. coming up. Yeah, yeah. We have we have some pig hunts um, coming up on the Jacks Ranch, and. Uh, Excited about that, you know. We'll we'll set yeah. that one off. We'll set that one off with a a royal royal uh, royal start to the season. So yeah, you know, probably get out there and hopefully get to whack a few pigs. Well, and, and
0: the week before that hunt, you actually have a Yeti film coming out.
1: Yeah, for the Yeti film tour. Your ego is not your amigo, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> right. But a lot of stuff going on for sure. Um, I think the Yeti film's on tour right now. Um, it's called Finding Ground and we did that right at the start of our sheep season and during the middle of the sheep season, th- in the 2019 season. And I, I think I got home, I don't know how many sheep hunts uh, I helped on, 6, 7, eight, like yeah. back to back, you know, 6 or 7 I think it was, but back to back you know, all the way through to the first couple of weeks in January, which wasn't that long ago, and then we had all of the hunting shows and, you know, prepping for the year, and so I'm looking forward to hunting personally, like in the 2019, I didn't get, in 2019, I didn't get to hunt enough for myself. Earlier in the year, I did, I did a bunch of predator hunting, and I shot a really, uh, a really nice red deer in August in the UK, and, uh, which I was really stoked on. Yeah. But from then on, I've been just guiding. You know, I haven't... And so now I'm starting to predator hunt a bunch because I predator hunt usually, like, when we get done with our sheep hunts from January to March, I'm predator hunting a bunch. Yeah. So I've been starting to go out in the last couple of weeks to get out there. And that's my favorite time. That's my time, right? right? Like, But um, but to be honest with you, I'm looking forward to, like, just planning a couple of personal hunts for the year mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and prepping for all of our California hunts again, yeah. you know? We have, we're have we doing our Jack Jack's Ranch hunts, right, which is on the Jack's Ranch, yeah, just yeah. beautiful, historical California yeah. ranch um, that we're doing pig hunts on now through Kika, and that starts, what, in like three or four weeks? Um, yeah, it starts the 13th. That starts the 13th, <laughs> <laughs> so probably right back into it, but no, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, my life's freaking amazing right like look at all of the rad hunts i get to go on and non-stop non-stop but well, but i do i do need to hunt a little bit you know for myself a little bit on i have some goals with some big game animals that like i just need to book those hunts or, or plan to go away to get that goal do you
0: come out and hunt with me on some public land we talked but the it time last year. is difficult yeah.
1: that's like right when we're going into you know sheep like season. into sheep season absolutely so i'm not willing to put that aside because mm-hmm. it just I mean, sheep hunting in itself is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? In California, desert sheep hunting is, dude, it's, if you draw that tag, you are the luckiest guy alive, right? And you yeah. probably won't get that opportunity ever again, but we get to guide those. We get to experience that person's once-in-a-lifetime hunt, and we get to, you know, do everything we can to put that guy in front of a great animal mm-hmm. that he's happy with and that's very fulfilling to me. 100%, you know, like I whether completely. I get to pull the trigger or not, you know, which given the opportunity, I would pull the trigger, right? <laughs> but, um But just the act of going out and hunting is what I enjoy doing, so, you know, but I do want to plan and set aside a little bit of time for, for a couple of, you know, hunts for myself, and I have one hunt uh, planned, and that's in, in the UK, um, but that's not going to be uh, very difficult, um, you know. And that's the second week in August, and it's going to be for fallow, mm-hmm. you know, and, and probably row, too. But depending, I, I'm waiting to get my flights before I book I- exactly which damn days I'm going to be going out and hunting. But and that's in England, yeah. Again, um, but yeah, non-stop. Um, yeah, so I look forward to that. I'd like to get on some sheep hunts up in Canada. Yeah, you know. And for some other sheep species, I'd like to get down to Mexico. Mexico like to, would be a dream. I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to hunt, you know, mule deer and sheep down in, in Mexico. Um, these are my just me talking out loud my, yeah. where, where I'd like to go, um, you know. I'd like to hunt chamois, mm-hmm. never hunted chamois.
0: but. Well, um, something you brought up is getting to go on repetitive lifetime hunts. What has that been like for you? in your experience growing as a hunter. And, and a lot of people look at it from the outside and they always see like, oh, you know, sheep tag in California, yeah, you gotta have a lot of money to do it. Well, I, I can't remember exactly how many tags were booked this year off the top of my head, but I know only two of them were purchased tags. Yeah. The rest of them were all draw tags. Yeah. On draw hunters. And people that were so grateful to have crews of guys running around helping them from when everybody was in the whites all the way down to like our last oh, time. We had guys everywhere in the whole desert, <laughs> the whole yeah. of
1: California.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so, what what is that like for you f- seeing that experience from the guide and the outfitting
1: side? Ah, it's, it's, it's humbling. It is. Um, the tag system works in that respect. Oh, yeah. Right. Like most of the clients that we get, um, you know, that, that apply and have drawn have been applying most of their lives. I mean, I think our last client of the year. Was that our last client? I'd been applying for 33 years. Our yeah. second to last client for the year. Yeah. It was our last right. client. Dane was the one before that. Yep. Who was also the elk hunter. Yeah. The and elk hunter. we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah. That's an exception to that rule. Absolutely. But also a beautiful thing. Um, but most of the clients are in the later years. Most of them aren't in the best shape of their life because they're in the later years. Right? Because like, um, that's how hard it is to get the tag. Yep. That's how hard it is to draw the tag. And most of those guys draw the tag and we've got to get them. To where these sheep live, and nine times out of ten, that 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 can be can be a difficult thing at times. Yeah. That's a task within itself. That's a task within itself, but that's our job. Yeah, our job is to get the client in suitable range of the animal and have them be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that we take that on as the as the number one challenge. But it, to answer the question, what's it like? It it's pretty cool to see that to pretty, to see somebody that's been applying their whole life to appreciate the opportunity and to understand what they finally drew mm-hmm. you know like I think if you, if, if you had clients that you know drew quick every time where's the appreciation and understanding of like how valuable or how limited that hunting opportunity is yeah. um, so most of the clients understand and are just blown away by the opportunity and then when they get into the terrain you know there's a little bit of a intimidation mm-hmm. for that but once they get used to it, most of the clients we can get them in a position for them to push themselves past what they thought was humanly possible and they thank you for it yeah you know you know so it is achievable for somebody even not in the best shape with the right crew and the right mindset um, that's the coolest part for me you know seeing that whole come to fruition where you see a guy that looks like they can't walk very far it looks like they struggled to walk 50 yards and then you get him on the top of the mountain and he kills a monster sheep and you get him off the mountain mm-hmm. and it's the best experience he's ever had in his entire life and he tells you it was the best experience he's ever had in his entire life. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Man, what it a... It feels a, so good. Yeah. Like, rewarding. 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 And challenging. I mean, that sheep hunt is, you know... I mean, They're not you, all... You know you were at all of our, right? Yeah, just hunts about. Sheep this whole year, just about. and And... And so you would have a good opinion on that, probably better than I would, because you just came to sheep camp out of nowhere and went, all of our sheep hunts. So you've seen all of those clients mm-hmm. go from, you know, wondering whether they were going to be able to get anywhere to sealing the deal. Yeah. You know? Well, and the, the value, the
0: valuable, the value that the horses bring uh, for these
1: game changer for these people I, I've always I've said that since day one I'm like we need we need mule we need them now yeah because like, we can go further and far like if we can get you know a couple of miles past the trailhead before we even have to step off the animal
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's a long way yeah that's legs that I now have to use to, to walk all night or overnight yeah and go much further much further, much further and then I think they also had a level of for the clients at a level of confidence which is a big big deal like, confidence in the shooting, confidence in the situation. Everything. Yeah, everything. And, uh, again, that's our job. Our job is when, when that client bucks a hunt with Kika, um, our job is to seal the deal. Right. And the animals, the, the mule, horses, and, and and any other vehicles we may use to get those people into the backcountry and get them to where they need um, is a big deal. Yeah. You know? But as, you know, it's also a lot of work. I mean, look at, like... What Cade and our our Wrangler has to do year round to keep us in animals and keep us continuous those animals continuously available for a while. Cade works so hard. Works his ass off. you know. And handling animals is that it's very physical. Um, But that's something I think that we, as an outfit that we do, that um, you know, um, I think is is a game changer. um, But also is something that allows us to take clients. Um, and get them in further than we previously could mm-hmm. which also allows us the opportunity to get further into the backcountry to find get into animals that maybe we wouldn't be able to get into with those yeah. clients everyone's happy and finding animals that maybe find animals we wouldn't not
0: see because normally find exactly because they're a little bit further back yeah so and we talked about this just for a brief second Dane's hunt yeah right now, did you hunt with Dane on the tule elk hunt? I did, yeah. So you were on both of Dane's only big game animals that he's ever really taken in yeah. his life. A tule elk in California, which he drew.
1: Yeah. And then so Dane Christensen was the first client for Kika four or five years ago. And he'd never hunted before. He he wanted. He's a big fisherman, and he wanted to put meat in the freezer. Yeah. And so he went online and went, "What do I want to eat?" Pretty much. And he went, "Elk sounds good." And so he applied for Thule Elk in Owens Valley. He drew mm. that. Right. No big deal. No big deal. And it was Kika's first client, mm-hmm. like when we first started the outfit. So Dane was our first client. He got a really nice Thule, and at that camp, you know, we don't stop talking about sheep. So he, he asked. where he should apply for. He's like, I've killed an elk now. Like, I'm going to apply. What should I apply for next? And he wanted sheep. So he he decided he was going to apply for sheep. And he asked what unit. We told him where to go kind of thing or where to apply. Jake did. And he applied every year, four years. I think four or five years. Mm -hmm. Is it? Four or five years? For sheep. Five
0: points or something. Okay, so this year he drew
1: arguably the best unit in the state of California for desert sheep, having never applied for any other hunt since drawing the tule elk tag which prior to that he'd never big game hunted at all or shot an animal at all yeah and he just drew the best unit in California in 2019 season for for as a sheep (laughs) so we just guided him in January right well what was so great about that whole experience with
0: Dane was like how amazing the random draw tag
1: actually can be yeah. You know, and it's so possible for anybody. Yeah, there you go. It just happened. People that we know, right? Yeah. You know, applied once for Tule Elko tag in the Owens Valley, drew it, applied yeah. four times yeah. for desert sheep in California, and then drew it. No other applications. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I do, you do hear those things. I, I do hear of them, like people haven't applied before, and then they draw the best deer unit in the state, and then they apply again, draw it again, two years later. You're like, what yeah but that does illustrate that that tag system does work you know, well, right. and
0: what's funny is that dane actually has been putting in for uh specialty deer permits oh was he and Cal- and he's never drawn one yeah he's never drawn a premium deer tag in the state of california but he's drawn a tule elk tag and a so he's been tag.
1: applying for deer every year and was not he? getting oh, okay. it yeah, yeah yeah but like that's just crazy to me yeah like are you serious yeah. That's so backwards. Good, good. What was rad about Dane too and cool about Dane is he like wanted all of the animal. Mm-hmm. He wanted to eat the animal. Yeah. You know, he wanted the organs and he, he just very much wanted to soak in the experience. Well, the, I mean, he took the liver and the heart
0: and he's yeah. just and he's in there cutting it all out yep. and going for it. Yeah. You know, like and he brought his buddy, I can't remember his buddy's name, but it was, you know, like such an experience to watch them both get to do it together. Oh,
1: for sure. For you know, sure. that's always an eye-opener, you know, when somebody brings a buddy to camp and, you know, they get to experience or see their friend going through, you know, that sheep hunt, yeah. which is nuts, you know. Yeah. Everyone breaks down, don't they?
0: Yeah. At
1: some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So
0: we both came back from Montana recently.
1: Yeah. On a pretty epic adventure yes we did we did
0: an incredible (laughs) trip that was Kuyu Conservation Direct which was something that Brendan kind of dreamed up and started throwing together a couple years ago yeah and it all came to fruition and you were a donor and I'm I, I mean maybe I'm speaking too much and putting too much out there that you don't want to talk about about being a donor or anything like that but What was that experience like for you, having been a sheep hunter for as many years as you have, and then here you are, a helicopter's coming in, you know, laying sheep
1: down at our feet? Well, Brennan had an idea, right? He wanted to uh, capture and relocate. Sheep, mm-hmm. right, uh, and re-establish either new herds or replenish a range that had herds in them, right? That was the idea a couple of years ago. Yeah. Capture sheep, you know, and then relocate them on the state land and to try to help the population, right? To try to either reinvigorate a herd that's died out from disease or re-establish a new one. That was the general idea, right? From and that's Brendan Burns at Kuyu, right? yeah. So Brendan called me a year or two ago, I can't remember, and said, pretty much just said that, I want to do it, I want us to do it ourselves. I, need, I want to figure out how to do that. Can you help? Yeah. Let me know what you need help with, right? And this wasn't talking about money, this was how can we do this, yeah. right? And, you know, that was a year to two years ago, moving all the way through that path, you know, the project ended up being able to be figured out by Brendan and set up, and so, you know, through funding from customers of Kuyu and the Kuyu brand, um, collectively worked together to capture and relocate two herds of of sheep. Three. Three herds of sheep, It ended up being
0: three. It was originally going to be two. It was originally going to be two. They split
1: North Dakota into into two separate ones. Okay. And uh, so we just went and did that recapture and relocation. What like two weeks ago mm-hmm. in Montana, and um, and uh, we caught the first day. I missed the first day. We caught thirty sheep, right? And relocated and they went to North Dakota. Am mm-hmm. I right? So they went to reestablish two herds in North Dakota. Where were they? What yeah. ranges were those in? I, I can't remember, remember what ranges. I can't they remember went to. top of my head. But that was the first day. And then the second day, which I was there, I brought my son out to as an eight-year-old boy to help us with all the field work. And, you know, the people listening here, what, what, basically what was happening is we were stationed in an area. Um, helicopter would go into the mountains, capture a few sheep. Um, they would tranquilize them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Tranquilize them, net them, bring them over to us and drop them on the ground in front of us. And then we, we did a bunch of work on them, put them on a table, weighed them, did a bunch of work with biologists, yeah. and then they were put in the back of the truck. And then the 24 that we caught that day were then driven down to Utah mm-hmm. to replenish the herd on Antelope Island, mm-hmm. if I remember rightly. Yeah. So that's what we just did. We actually did the field work ourselves with the biologists. Swabs. Um, swabs, we, we, uh, we did the tonsils, we did ear swabs, and nasal swabs, we took blood samples, we put uh, radio uh, radio collars on them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, ear tags. T- Ear tags. You know, we took fecal samples. And Making sure that they were of sound yeah, health. Yeah, con- constant, constant temperature checks and make sure that they weren't stressed out. A couple of nutrient injections, which are just good for them. Mm-hmm. You know, one of them was for vitamins and one of them was an anti-anxiety so that they handled the situation comfortably. Mm-hmm. But we did all this work ourselves. Each sheep took, what, 20, 30 minutes or something like that to run through all that before we were able to put them on the truck. And And we never lost a sheep through the entire. No. No. We did 54 sheep in two days. So caught and relocated 52. I think it was 55. 55, sorry, sheep. And uh, proud of that. That's it. You know, really, it's like if you want to do something about, you know, or, or people always talk about conservation and they talk about it so openly. That I think we forget sometimes. It's about results. Get out there and do it. Get out there and do it. You know, we all give through our firearms taxes and through Mm -hmm. you know our state taxes and and through our um, Robertson Pittman and all that our participation in hunting and all of the um, the benefits that go with um, you know buying our tags and all of that, but. What about the actual field work, you know? Yeah. Like that stuff that in the past we haven't really been able to have much of an impact on. You know, we can have an impact on private land, right? But yeah. on, on public land, um, which is, we all benefit from that. You know, if there's an extra 55 sheep out there, that's an extra 55 sheep that weren't there before. That, you know, someone from the general public would get to go and see sheep on Antelope Island now that were struggling a few years ago and were yeah. wiped out by a, you know, disease. Yeah. But, so, we're trying to, I think, i think for me, the reason why, you know, that project's so powerful is that the people that want to make an impact are out there doing it, mm-hmm. trying to do it. Doing you know, our we best. Had, we had a bunch of volunteers too, yeah. you know, a bunch of, um, you know, uh, quite a few people that were local or driven down to just help because they knew how important that work is. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Looking forward to kind of, uh, it was all filmed and videoed, so I'm looking forward to seeing that, yeah. um, what that looks like. Um, Robbie and... A muddy Shudder. Yeah, Muddy Shudder and Robbie did, filmed it for, is it a Blood Origins project? Or no, Muddy Shudder, I'm pretty sure. Okay, Muddy Shudder project, and uh, yeah, but that was an experience, especially having my son there, you know? I took my eight-year-old boy, and he can't understand the scope of capturing a load of sheep and relocating them to another mountain range. He, he doesn't quite understand the importance of it, yeah. right, because
0: he's a kid. Well, and also, but, at kind of at the point where he is in his life, maybe he's questioning, what's dad doing? Yeah. You know, and getting to bring him along and showing him firsthand the conservation efforts that yourself and other outdoorsmen and other hunters are doing and can achieve to show yeah. him
1: what preservation of a species could actually look like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How important is that? Oh, I mean, it's beautiful for me, right? I mean, my, my boy, my flesh and blood, yeah. you know, got to carry, you know, the last sheep <laughs> onto on, on the, on the back of and the cool trailer it's a what? at eight years old carrying a freaking. Uh, he was carrying a, a sheep. Yes, yeah, like 100%. Yeah, he was carrying one, one corner of the four piece stretcher carrying the last sheep into the trailer for those sheep then to be driven down to a new home in Antelope Island and he I know personally he got a kick out of that yeah you know and just look like that to me that's that's huge you know even if it just impacted my son like that where it was a positive thing that's one person that was incredibly positively impacted by that well experience. wait till he's
0: 18 years old when he actually can wrap
1: his entire brain around what the whole yeah, maybe he understands was. a little bit more about his dad, too, yeah. like what his dad does or what kind of person his dad wants to be or the kind of things his dad wants to spend his time doing and the kind of things his dad wants to show him, too, that like, hey, this is important. Like, look at this. You know, this t- there's a lot th- you know, to learn about what we're doing here, but take away this. We're capturing 50 sheep, 50-odd mm-hmm. sheep. And we're putting them in a new home that's better for the, good for the species and helps the species grow, Yeah. right? Helps continued procreation. Anyone can understand that. Right? Well, and a beautiful thing too is that,
0: you know, a lot of the ewes were all
1: pregnant. Yep.
0: So come May, not only was it, you know, let's say, if I say it was 30 ewes total transplant, Right? maybe a little bit more than that, 35 or something like that, maybe 40. I think maybe closer to 40, actually. Now that's 80 sheep.
1: Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, if, we were, if we we're able to do more and more of this, I mean, think of the impact that we could have. Yeah. You know, on sheep populations in the West. And or, it's completely financially sound. You know? Yeah. No, I think, I think what... When people see that, I'm hoping they see it in the right light. But um, to be involved with it, I'm just humbled by it. Um, but I just I think it's awesome that we were able to figure out how to do it and get it done, and it's on public land. Yeah. It's not for me. Yes. It's not for Brendan Burns. It's for everybody, yeah. right? Like and,
0: and future hunters.
1: Yeah. Ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years down the line. Yeah. But it all does it. Does it not also? Is it not like a soundboard for teaching and showing people that like. You can have an impact yeah you know you don't need to be a politician to do it if you can figure out how to do it um, and there's always a way to do it you just gotta figure it out yep yeah yeah so I'm pretty pretty stoked on that and you know but yeah it's gonna be a busy year it's gonna be a busy year for sure (laughs) for sure on that so this is
0: always like the fun part right and you know Dead Eye Outfitters are sponsored the podcast Nikolai and Brian are absolutely great people. They've always been more than wonderful to me. I love them a ton. And it's the Deadeye Minute. Right? Okay. So it can either be a really fun question and like jokey and jackassy, or it could be a relatively real or serious question. Okay. What and I and I gave somebody else this option, so I'm gonna give you the same option. Which
1: rabbit hole or door would you like to open with the Deadeye Minute? Ah, uh, let's go a little more racy and see what we can come up with so you, the fun question yes the fun question
0: okay so oh man did you have another one set up no i didn't have any <laughs> set up. i always come up with them off the cuff we used to write them down yeah uh anthony i used to write them down and come up with them i'm just i'd rather always come up with stuff off the cuff It's more fun. So you're stuck out in the wilderness, okay? And you got to take a dump, right? You either have snow or scalding hot rocks no i don't like that one you either have you might need to, this might be your first podcast that you might have to edit now i'm not gonna edit <laughs> i'm not gonna edit it i'll stumble on my words and embarrass myself all day long so you either have you either have snow right that you're gonna get frostbite from yeah okay you have snow and you're gonna end up with frostbite or scolding hot rocks to clean yourself up
1: with so I'm either gonna get frostbite or ass burnt whole no man's land balls yeah. or burnt balls ass whole. Yeah. I'll take the frozen one all day the long. The frozen it's one. It's fixable. Yeah. The other one might scar me for life. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> that <and laughs> you I You wanted to get
1: racy, so that, I tried to get racy as I could. That and I can walk on hot rocks. <laughs> That's I, a fact. Really? Yeah. Have you done it? Yep. Where? So drunk. <laughs> really? <laughs>
0: Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Flop theflipflopguy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.